This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. from Howard in a moment, but first off, I'm going to read from the Bible about what Howard's going to be teaching on today. So, I'm reading from Romans 2, starting at verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, If you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob the temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements... Will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he only, if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely an outward and physical thing. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true, and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. 
Their, con- their condemnation is deserved. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike, all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't like hypocrites, do we? We don't like hypocrites. Uh, I don't know if you saw this in the paper uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, This is uh, not Robbie Fowler. Uh, but um, Keith Vaz, who's the uh, uh, Labour MP for Sheffield East, uh, sorry, Leicester East, and he's on the what's called the Home Affairs, or was on the Home Affairs Select Committee investigating prostitution. Um, he's first of all spent £4,000 on a, quote, fact-finding mission to Copenhagen. If it had been Amsterdam, we'd know what he'd been finding out, but Copenhagen's pretty close. And then he uh, had a party quote-unquote, with some rent boys in his flat. He said, my name's Jim and I fix washing machines. Um, now, the papers that got caught him in this thing are just as hypocritical as he is. But, but what happens is he, likes his, he lost his job. He lost his job as the chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee. Uh, and we could find loads and loads of that. If you're preaching this passage any time, or you're reading this passage any time, it's not too difficult to find that kind of story in the paper. Yeah, it's, 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 it's everywhere. And, um, and as we continue our series through Romans, last week we looked at, um, Paul was pointing the finger at Roman culture. He was basically saying Roman culture is decadent, it's hedonistic, it's full of sex and homosexuality, and he kind of points the finger at that, and you could say, well, Paul, you've been a hypocrite, but actually Paul's actually pointing out the fact that that is decadent behavior, and he said it's a, produced by society that's abandoned God. And you could almost hear the kind of Jews in the audience because the church in Rome had Romans, Gentiles, so non-Jewish ones who hadn't been brought up to follow the law of God and be followers of Jesus. And then the Jews who'd become followers of Jesus who hadn't understood the law of God, the kind of Jewish Bible, the first five books of the Bible. You had those kind of two audiences in the church. So it's almost like as Paul goes for one of the audiences, you can hear the other ones quietly clapping. 
Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's about time we had some, somebody had some serious words to say about homosexuality and somebody had some serious words to say about those Romans. I mean, look at Nero, what is he like? Look at these Romans coming into our church. You know, they don't follow the rules. What's the matter with them? And you can almost hear them cl- chat, uh, clapping quietly and, um, as the letter's read out to them. And then, but Paul's uh, drawing them in for the punch. He draws them in and says, you who judge other people, you do the same yourself. And what we're doing now is we're unpacking that. He's going to say, well, basically, you do one thing, you say one thing, you do another. You judge other people, but you do the same things. A.K.A., you're a hypocrite, and nobody likes hypocrites. He says, it's not about obeying God. It's not about just hearing God's law. It's not about just hearing the Bible, as it were, just hearing God's words. You've got to do it. It's not about hearing. It's about hearing and doing. And so, so the, the whole point is he starts to unpack it. He says, look, you've got to not just hear the law. You've got to just not know the law. Because the Jews have been saying, look, I'm a Jew. Particularly the guys who say, look, I'm a Jewish guy. I've been, I was circumcised. They didn't take that one lying down. Uh, they were circumcised at the eighth day. They were. Um, <laughs> they would have been taught the Bible from the, the, the Torah, the, God's, uh, the Old Testament, first five books. They would have been taught that from the very young. Uh, you know, they would have gone through uh, the various uh, ceremonies. They would have coming of age. They'd have been therefore once they become of age in the synagogue. They'd have been expected to teach other people, other children, and they would have been thinking, "Look, I'm superior. I've got the the word of God." Uh, and he says, "But it's not those that hear the hear the law that are righteous in God's sight. That's those that do it." And he even says, "Look, some of the Gentiles, some of these Roman Christians that have joined this church, actually are living more godly lives than you." It bothers me, and it should bother you. When people who are not Christians live better lives than Christians. You meet people who are not Christians and you think, you're a really, sorry for a word, nice person. You do good things, you say good things, there seems to be no edge in you. And then you meet Christians, obviously not in this church, but you meet, <laughs> you meet Christians and, that, and, and you think, man, what are you like? Why are you like that? You know, it, 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 it really bothers them that, that, that we look good on the outside, but yet we're just plain fake. That should bother you. It bothers me. And it really bothers Paul. And so he starts to try and get them to see what they're like, and he gets a little bit ironic. So I'm going to add a few claps and cheers in the middle of this, but we're, uh, I'll pick up in uh, chapter 2, I think it is, verse 17, it says, you say you're a Jew. I think it should be there. Yes, great. You say you're a Jew. Great. Well done. You rely on God's law and boast in God that you uh, know his will and approve what's superior. Excellent. You're, a, you're instructed from the law. Well done. You're a guide to the blind, a light for those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children. Go for it. Without doubt, you're the embodiment of God's knowledge and truth. He's almost kind of been ironic, saying, look, you're amazing. You teach children, you can teach the law. You're the embodiment of righteousness. And then he goes, bang. You who teach others, teach yourself. You know what you're like? You're you're saying, I know the law, I'm teaching these people, I'm a good little Christian, I'm a good little Jew, I'm following God's law, but actually, you don't even do what you say. And he bothers him. It really bothers him. You could do it this way, couldn't you? I mean, Jesus says, um, you know, we're very good at spotting the problems with other people. Christians have got their, their radar on. 
You know, if you're in church leadership, people often like to tell me what's gone on wrong with other people. Very few people come and say, I just need to confess this in me. Most people have, oh, do you know that? Do you know that? Whatever. We, t- we kind of go on. We're very good. Our radar is very good at spotting wrong what's wrong with everyone else. Uh, uh, but we're pretty rubbish at spotting what's wrong with ourselves. Jesus does it with this illustration, doesn't he? Here's a picture. Uh, he says, uh, get the big, you know, you're trying to take the speck out of your wife's eye. Yeah, just let me look there, that little bit of insecurity. I'll just remove that. And there's a great big plank in my eye of kind of envy and pride and greed and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus says, come on. He's being ironic, just like Paul. He's saying, come on. What are you like? Why are you like this? You could do it yourself. Call yourself a Christian. Great. You put your hand up in a meeting and walk to the front and pray that Bible prayer. Brilliant. You're baptized in water and you know the Bible. Well done. You speak in tongues and you're a great Pentecostal. Excellent. Oh, you lead a God-first community. Brilliant. You've given your pastoral wisdom to people through the years. You've served on the kids' work. You give 10% of your money to the church. Amazing. You preach on Sundays. Without doubt, you're the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You who teach others, teach yourself. It's kind of scary because I would do the bulk of the teaching here and, and it's hard to, hard to preach a sermon about hypocrisy because I'm in danger of being hypocr- hypocritical. I mean, don't, let me just give you a very light example. My wife won't worry. We're supposed, I was supposed to be uh, helping to uh, lead the meeting this morning. It's supposed to be, it says on the road to be there at 9.30. I got there just after 10. But those people are late when they're on the rotors. Man, I'm ticked. We're just all hypocrites. That's an easy example. I'm not going to tell you the real stuff. <laughs> Paul gets quite uh, uh, rhetorical. So the answer to all these questions, what he asks is, is yes. So you can say the yes. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Oh, you don't want to say it, do you? Maybe you don't. You who commit adultery, you are, uh, who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? He's saying you do, come on. Here's a funny one. You who are bore idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking it? You're probably saying yes to at least one of those. You're probably saying, if you don't realize, you might be saying yes to two. Paul is suggesting that you might take the, the little idols of our culture that are money, sex, power, how people see you, career, leisure, whatever. You take those little idols. Uh, that, that we all worship in our culture. And he says, what you do is you rob the temple, you, stip, you don't go there, oh, I'd never go there. I'd never go to that club down the road. But you stick the little idol up, and then you go on your computer at home. You worship all those things. Paul says, you worship all those things. You say, how disgusting those Romans worshipping them. I put it like this. this is my, you preach family values, you're having an affair. You delight yourself in God, but you're a secret porn addict. Your credit card's out of control. You say you're filled with the Spirit, you're covering up a violent temper. You talk about openness and sharing your life, but your Sunday smiles hide anger, bitter heart. You're lazy and arrogant. Let's face it, God first. You're a hypocrite. That's what he's saying. You think, well, why do you why say God first? Surely you mean the church down the road. <laughs> Surely you mean the ones across town or the ones in America that hit the papers. No. It means us. You know the sad thing about this? Is when hypocrites and fakes, their cover's blown, Paul says, it's bad for them. 
I, I, I mean, I, you, I heard of someone even this last couple of weeks. In, in, a, a significant Christian ministry has an affair. You think, what are they doing? And when their cover's blown, stuff, it's tragic for the family and everything that goes around that and the ministry, it's tragic for that. But you know what Paul says? It's even more tragic. Because he says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is a picture from a magazine from the States. There was a, a scandal. I tried to pick one far back, so I wasn't fully picking one on anyone in particular. But there's a scandal in the States called the Ashley Madison. That is a website where you could go on and sign up to have an affair. This guy, I'm not going to mention his name, the guy who's mentioned on the front cover here, he's, he, he was preaching, he had a ministry, to, and he preached lots and lots about family and family values. But when the website, Ashley Madison website was hacked, they got all the names of all the people that had gone on it, he'd got, he'd got two accounts on there. It hit the fan. His wife, kids, papers. That's bad for him. Do you know what's worse? Everybody said, absolutely, those hypocrites. Those hypocrites. You know what they're like? So that's what you hear. What, this person, they're like this, they're acting like that, they're seeing that, they're preaching this, they're doing this. And you know what? It makes the whole thing look a sham. The whole thing's a fake. So Paul's basically saying, why, why, do the, why does God's name used as a swear word? Why is God's name treated as irreverent and disrespectful? It's because the nations look at God's people. It's in this case, he's got the Jews in his sight, but actually you could say, they look at the church and say, they're just as bad as we are. God must be like them. God must lack integrity. He must be angry and proud, greedy, violent, self-centered, lustful. Paul quotes Ezekiel 36 and says, Because of you Jews, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's cheery stuff. He's saying, you know what? Why the churches are empty? Part of the reason is because of us, because of what we're like and how we go around and how we do our business and what people come in. You meet, if you meet somebody who's not being hurt by the church, obviously in this church that no, doesn't happen, uh, but you know, if, you, if you have never been hurt by a Christian or let down by a Christian or disappointed by a Christian, you're a, a rare breed. That's what Paul's saying. One of the biggest hindrances to the mission of God is God's people. Phil Moore, who, whose book I quoted, says this. I love Phil because he says it even straighter than me, which is why I quote him. <laughs> Phil Moore said this. Instead of looking down on the Gentiles, in a, you know, the Jews in the church are saying, look at those Roman Christians. They aren't circumcised. They haven't sorted themselves out. They don't keep the rules. Instead of looking down on the Gentiles, the, peop- the people without God, God's people should be apologizing to them for deceiving them with their hypocrisy. Instead of arrogantly bragging about their privileged status as God's people, knowing God's word, they should be facing up to the fact that they're the worst offenders of all. So he puts it right in the lap of the the kind of nice Jewish believers and says, come on, what you like. And they feel the pressure, so they can, they they kind of, um, Paul's imagining what they're going to say, hey Paul, come on, I am circumcised. There's all this stuff about circumcised, 
Um, you know, you don't want to really talk about it in polite company, but literally it means I'm cut off. I'm cut off from that. You know, they do cut something off in circumcision, if you're wondering. Yeah? That, 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 that the males were circumcised. I'm cut off from that. And this is a sign that I'm given to God. This is a sign in my body that I belong to God's people. Obviously, the horror is, you know, you hear about FGM. That, that, that in, 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 in some religions, they've taken that sign and they've made it a kind of abuse thing. Because it's actually, in some religions, it's actually so much more about the outside. Who cares what happens to the young girl who's taken from and cut? I'm not talking about that, but we're talking about this male circumcision where they say, look, that's the sign. That's a sign I'm, I'm good. That's a sign I'm in. Paul says, okay, let's talk about circumcision. He says, circumcision only has value if they keep the law. But if you break the law, you become as though you've not been circumcised. What he's saying is, if you say you're God's people, circumcision is shorthand for I am part of God's people. So let's try and read it that way. If you say you're part of God's people, that's got no value. Circumcision's got no value in saying you're part of God's people. If you observe the law, and you, but if you break it, you may as well not count yourself as if you're part of God's people. It's not what you look like on the outside, it's what's happening on the inside he's talking about. You don't want the hypocrites. So then, if you who are not circumcised, all the Roman Christians are thinking, yeah, come on, Paul, you're not circumcised, keep the law's requirements, you will be regarded as if you are God's people. Revolution. Let's put it in a Muslim concept. You who don't wear the burqa, but follow Allah faithfully, you are the true Muslims. That's how it felt in Rome in AD 57 when Paul throws that in. God is always looking for the opposites of hypocrisy. What's the opposite of hypocrisy? The little word beginning with I. Integrity. Your inside and your outside are the same. Not your outside behavior looks like something and your inside thoughts and motivations don't line up. Paul talks about your conscience telling you. I think, man, my conscience tells me sometimes my outside behavior doesn't line up with my inside motives. Sometimes my outside behavior in private doesn't line up with my outside behavior in public. Churches can do the same. Oh, that's christened and a baby. I'm in. I'm part of God's people. I go to church on Sunday. Man, why are you always so often, you lot? Come on. Don't you know that if you've got to hear every week, you're part of God's people? If you're slacking off, going to weddings and having a weekend off because it's sunny? Man, think about it. Hey, I carry a big Bible. In fact, I, I get to preach from it sometimes. You know, I know it. Man, I can quote you. Hey, I, I go to those, I go to that kind of church. You know, where when I put my hands up, everyone around me, they know he's a spiritful guy. <laughs> he's encountered Jesus. He works with him in the secret place. Hallelujah. Do we do that? Oh, no. It's just me that spots those things. Yeah, we do that, don't we? We have these outside markers of what it means to be a good Christian. And Paul's saying, great, I love your outside markers. Get it. Read the Bible. Lift your hand in worship. Get there. Be there. Be baptized as a believer. Let's not talk about that this week. But, you know, let, be baptized. 
But make sure that is a sign of what's on on the inside. God's looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart. He says, doesn't he, a person's not a Jew who's one outwardly. You're not a Christian if you just look like one. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. A person who's a Jew, a person who's part of the people of God is one inwardly. Being part of the people of God is being something that God does in your heart by his spirit, not by keeping the rules. We'll have a debate, maybe, on do you keep the rules? You could turn to your person, I'll just give you a little break, turn to the person next to you and say, are you supposed to keep the Ten Commandments? I'm not going to answer, I'm just going to get you to think. Are you supposed to keep the Ten Commandments? Brian's going to come out and give the alternative point of view, but I'm preaching today, so sit down. <laughs> do you supposed to keep the Ten Commandments? Okay, I'm not even going to ask you. But what is clear, if you think you should keep the Ten Commandments to be the people of God, you better keep all of them. Everyone. If that's what you're hoping in, keep them all. That's what Paul's saying. Keep them all. So I think, I'd, I'd rather not try that one. So what else is Paul saying? He's saying, he goes to Ezekiel 36 again, because he's referenced it early, and Paul never usually, if he references a Bible verse, from the Old Testament, he wants you to double-click and say, oh, that's interesting. He's hoping his audience would do that or maybe um, go there. So with Ezekiel 36, he said, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Oh, that's Ezekiel 36. Let's read of the, the, of Ezekiel 36 further on. It says, I will cleanse you from your impurities and your idols. There's those idols again. I'll give you a new heart. Yes, please, God. Put a new spirit within me. I'll remove from you your heart of stone. Your hypocritical heart that doesn't reflect your outside and give you a soft heart, a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you, move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you'll be my people and I'll be your God. So keeping the laws matters, but it's about where it comes from. Paul talks about the obedience that comes from faith, from believing Jesus. It's not the obedience that comes from a better behave to keep like I'm in. God wants to do something in your heart. God's spirit brings new life. We're not talking about, uh, let me just be clear where, where we stand on this. I do believe that people can be filled with the spirit again and again and again. But God's spirit is the, is the person, the third person of Trinity who makes you a Christian. So what I'm saying is when you become a Christian, this is what God does by his spirit. Now you don't want to just have that moment years back you want to have God come into you afresh by his spirit again and again and again and again. But God's spirit gives you new life, turning hearts of stone to hearts, soft hearts, full of integrity. God's spirit turns, makes every believer circumcised on the inside so they live like God's people on the outside. He moves us to keep God's law. So you've got this. So Paul is kind of, last week, bang! Pagan Romans, boom, 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 boom. And they're all like, woo. And the Jews are, yeah, baby. And then this week he goes, Jewish hypocrites. Do, 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 do. And the, the Romans are going, yeah. And then Paul goes, okay, any questions? Obviously he's not there. He's writing in Corinth to Rome. He's, he says, any questions? Anyone got any questions? He imagines the questions. So we got four crazy questions that he asked. I've rolled them into three just to try to make it easier. And I've tried to make a little few speech bubbles to help you. So it's almost says, any questions? He imagines, he says, yeah, uh, Jewish Pharisee kind of looking guy at the front. Yes. Tom. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and, and Tom, and, and the Jewish Pharisee guy says, yeah, if, if the true Jews won morally and 
inwardly, not to do with being circumcised or being born a Jew, isn't it logical to ask, well, is it any benefit being a Jew? Paul says, good question. That's a good question. You know, it's, it's, and he says, it's much in every way. It's a good benefit in every way. He says, first of all, if you're, if you're a, Jew, a good Jewish guy, you've, you've got the very oracles of God. He doesn't say the word of God or the Torah because he's trying to get the Romans to think, whoa, that's interesting. Romans are into oracles. So I say, hey, they've got the words of God. Maybe I should read this book. He says, that, you've got the very words of God. So, next question. Oh, yeah, bearded, bearded Jewish guy at the back. Yeah, come, stand up, yeah. Can I hear your question? Well, you say that some Jews have been unfaithful to God by failing to keep his law. Will uh, the unfaithfulness of some nullify God's goodness? Nullify God's faithfulness? Paul's saying, no, 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 not at all. Let God be true. You might all be liars, you might all be hypocrites, you might all blow out, you might not all keep the rules, but God is going to keep his part. But he says, just so you're clear, and I'm pulling a verse from further down, but no one will be made righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Actually, through the law, we become aware of sinfulness. So what should happen is your state, if you're following the law, you should think, man, I'm not a very good Christian. You know, I mess up here, and I mess up here, and I'm a fake there. Man, if they caught me there, man, that would hit the papers. And that, I think, might have been the state. It's more complicated than that, but I'm trying to make it easy for you to get your head in. But actually, we'll, we'll go back. But I think he says this point. I, maybe, maybe I'm cheating. But maybe later on in Romans, he kind of comes back to this point. He says, no, 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 but God's promises. You know God promised to Abraham, the founder of the Jewish nation, that I'd bless all the world through, through his seed, through one of his offspring? Who's Jesus? He's the offspring of David. He's the offspring of Abraham. He's going to bless the world. We'll get Abraham come back in. I think he's in next week, is he? Yeah, Abraham comes in next week. So that's kind of in there. And he says, you know King David, he said one of his sons is going to sit on the throne of the world forever. He's still caught, he's, he's kept that promise. You might have blown it, Israel, and you might not deserve to have a Jew sit on the throne of the cosmos forever. Hey, but here's a Jew called Jesus, who is the son of David, who is on the throne forever. You might be saying, well, where can I get righteousness from? You know, I've been unfaithful. I'm a bit of a fake. I've, I've bombed out. Who's the, where is this righteous one? Jesus, he's the righteous one from heaven. So God is faithful. He's kept his promise, and his promise is called Jesus. They're probably scratching their heads at that bit because he's probably gone on a bit of a journey. So anyway, it gets a little heated then, and we take our third question. There is four, but I've rolled them together. It takes the third, fourth question. He says, uh, yeah, Roman Togawara. Should I call you, sir? Oh, patrician. Oh, sorry. Sir, could you please tell us your question? He stands up and he says, Well, okay, if our own Roman unrighteousness or Jewish unrighteousness reveals God's righteousness in Jesus more clearly, what shall we say then? Is God unjust in bringing his wrath on us? If my lying and falsehood enhances God's truthfulness, so increases his glory, why are you giving me a hard time as a sinner? He's trying to say, Hey, God's to blame. Isn't that often the case? We like to say, well, God, you're to blame. You know, you call me a hypocrite, really? Come on, you're to blame. Paul doesn't even give him much time. He says, you're mistaken in using a human argument. So that kind of shows him up. Look, here you are in church. Well, that's a human argument. Sorry, sir. You might be the mayor, but no way. It says, that means God couldn't judge the world, and he is doing it. 
I've said that already, he's judging the world in lots of different ways, he's doing it now and he's going to do it in the future. So don't put words in my mouth, don't say what I'm not saying, what I'm not saying, let us do good so evil may increase, your condemnation is deserved. The guy gets up, storms out. <laughs> so where we got to, we land this down. He's talked about, don't be a hypocrite. Have your inside and outside right. God's kept his part of the bargain even though you've blown out. God's sent Jesus to be the blessing of the world that you should have been. God sent Jesus to be the light of the world which you, Israel, should have been and you blew it. The world is, mocks God's name because of you, but the true Israelite's going to come. He has come. And as I've told you in chapter 1, he's the Lord of all. So get with the program. He spent a thousand words telling us the bad news. He's desperate to tell us the good news, but let's just, he finishes with one more punch. I like to think of it like this. He puts us under the x-ray, it's not x-ray, is it? MRI. Puts us under the scanner. He says, um, let's, I, 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 I might use Mike, he led worship brilliantly, Mike, so I'm going to use you. Takes Mike and says, right, let's just put him under the scanner here and just see how good he really is. He's looking nice on the outside. Let's worship well. Mm. Let's just put him in. The scanner's got the law of God written on the side. And they slide him in. Press the button. Mike's thinking, oh no. <laughs> Press the button. Out he comes. He says, well, you got cancer. You've got cancer. He says, do you want me to really tell you the full story? It's like a cancer doctor having to give the diagnosis. Do you want to hear the full story? I mean, really, we, we find that easier to understand than you've just been a court. Tom, there's two Tom, so we could choose. You've just been a court, and we've stood you in the dock, and we've just read out and played all the secret things you did. Yeah, you know, the ones that you wish no one found out about. We just had it all read before the court. The ju- the, there's no jury in this case, it's just a judge, God. And God says, well, I'm afraid it's a mess. We're just going to read out the verdict. We find it easier to think of ourselves with cancer, don't we? But sin is a cancer that rots and eats and destroys us. And when God puts us under the scanner called his law, you know what? We just become more aware that we're dirty. In fact, in this bit, he, he, he says, look, let me read it. This is his verdict. Imagine the cancer doctor saying, look, this is the diagnosis. Or imagine the, the, the judge saying, this is the verdict. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. They've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Our throats are open graves. Our tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on our lips. Our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Our feet shed blood. Ruin and misery cover our paths and the way of peace is not known. There is no fear of God in our eyes. He's saying the cancer. You've tried to cover it up, but you've known the facts. You've come. Thank you for coming and getting checked out. He says, but it's, it's gone to your throat. It's in your lips, it's in your mouth, it's in your eyes, it's in your feet. But what's the verdict? You know, 
There's no cure right now. There's no cure. What's that cancer person going to say? Maybe cancer's hit your family and they've, you've been there when there's been that diagnosis. There's nothing to say. Stand speechless. Just cry. Guy in the dock. The charge is red. You've sinned with everything. Every bit of you. You've broken the law here and here and here and here and here and here. There's only one sentence. You stand there speechless with nothing to say. Paul says this, let every mouth be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Hear his verdict. Hear his diagnosis. Dr. Martin Lord Jones, whose books would make a large pile on this stage if we were bothering with them, he says this, you're not a Christian until you've stood in stunned silence. How do you know you're a Christian or not? Have you been made speechless? Humanity is forever talking about God, criticizing God, blaming God, pontificating about what good God should or should not done. You do not begin to be a Christian until your mouth is silenced, speechless, no word to say. Paul, I think, just holds the reading. Must have said to the guy, "Look, just just pause there." He wants to get on to the good news, but he just pauses there, and everyone's silent. Almost like you can feel it in here. Nobody's answering questions or putting a word in their defence. Paul's saying to them, "Will you hear this now? Will you hear this now?" Well, there's still a chance. Will you hear this now? Well, there's still a chance of some cure. Will you hear this chance? Well, there's still a chance that you might be acquitted. Because you're going to hear that verdict at the end of the world. Will you hear it now? That's what he's saying. Will you hear it now? I've used this quote before, but I'll bring it in again. We must feel our desperate need Otherwise, God's gospel, Paul's gospel, is merely some helpful advice to be followed or some interesting philosophical ideas to be explored, an emotional experience you might fancy. The gospel is not like an advertisement for a product to simply improve your life that we might or might not buy. He's saying this is life and death, people. I like to imagine it like this, as why Paul kind of moves to the next section. I'm going to take a couple of verses from Brian next week. But I, th- I imagine that, you know, like those movies where you know that there's like a, an execution about to happen. Usually it's a good person that's about to die. But in this case, it's a person that totally deserves to die. But like there's a, a, there's a court verdict that's about to be given. There's an execution that's about to happen that, that, that 
And just at the last minute, I just imagine, like, someone bursts in the door to the court and shouts, Stop! A righteousness from God has been made known apart from the law. The righteousness that God has given is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Stop! If you believe this, if you believe that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, that his body, whoops, that his body's been broken, that his blood's been shed. If you believe that, if you believe that the, the, the only one who's committed no sin, the only one with no hypocrisy, the only one who's not a hedonist or a hypocrite, the only one who's lived the perfect life, he's died. That's my proclamation, says Paul. He's died. He's been a sacrifice that turns away the judgment. Imagine the person here and there. Someone's died for you. Court's shocked. They don't know what to do. But the accused says, I don't believe that. What a pile of garbage. Jesus, who's he? Crucified what? Nah. Just take me away and kill me. It's inconceivable that that person would do that. But when we hear the good news of Jesus and we walk away, that's exactly what we do. When, when somebody comes and says, there's a cure for your cancer that's eaten you up, we found it at last. No, I don't fancy being a trial in that one. The righteousness of God has been revealed. When you come forward, you come in as a cancer sufferer. Sin is riddling your body. And this, Jesus Christ crucified, broken body, shed blood, is the cure. You're going to come a little more different than perhaps you do on a regular week, aren't you? You're going to... His life, my life. His truth, my truth. His righteousness, my righteousness. You come as a condemned criminal and say, I will have him die for me. It's time to take off your masks, God, first. It's time to admit that we desperately need Jesus. One of the things, and I'm going to have a little pop at you, One of the things that shocks me week after week is when I preach or other people preach, we say, look, if you've got this issue, if you've got this stuff going on in your life, if you need Jesus, just slide up your hand. And Gavin and Enos put their hands up. (laughs) And maybe one other. And all the rest of us sit on our hands and go, not me, that ain't me. Polish up our nice Sunday vet smiles. You know, I don't sin at all. I don't need this, but we're all going, so hey, I'll wander down. That bothers me. I think it bothers God. It certainly bothers Paul. What we're doing in this church is we're saying, no hiding place. This is the safest place you're going to find to say, You know what I'm like. I need Jesus. 
I found it last week when I preached the sermon. I preached it to myself first, hopefully. But when I preached the sermon, we sang, My hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And it struck me. That's true. I am. I'm as bad as Nero. I'm as hypocritical as the worst Pharisee. I need Jesus. And so do you. Thoughts? Okay, so we're going to respond now by taking the bread and wine. Uh, if you want to respond to Jesus this morning, we'd love to welcome you. If you want to respond to what Howard said, uh, or if you want prayer for anything in particular, just hang around here after you've had your bread and wine. This is a meal for Christians, for followers of Jesus. But Jesus welcomes everyone who comes to him. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.